Welcome to episode 173 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, super exciting announcement. The wait is over. ButcherBox makes it easy to get high quality, humanely raised meat that you can actually trust. They deliver 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood directly to your door. When you become a member, you're joining a community focused on doing what's better for all. That means caring about the lives of animals and the livelihoods of farmers, treating our planet with respect, and enjoying better meals together. Like I said, they had a wait list for quite a while. They had to make sure they were doing everything the right way, really truly caring for farmers, animals, the planet, and their members. ButcherBox instigated their waitlist to take steps to ensure the safety of their team members and their supply chain. They looked closely at the environmental impact of all of their decisions and kept their promises to their members along the way. Now it's time to open that waitlist back. New members are now welcome to order today, so definitely get in while you can. I adore ButcherBox. Honestly, their steaks are some of the best steaks I have ever tasted. I love that they are completely grass-finished. Most, quote, grass-fed meat on the market isn't grass-finished. Their pork is heritage breed, which is super rare to find. Their chicken is humanely raised and air-chilled. And they really just take the hassle out of the grocery store by shipping straight to your door. It averages to about $6 per meal. You choose your box and delivery frequency. They have five boxes with four curated options as well as their custom box. The wait is over. ButcherBox is now welcoming new customers. You can sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast to get high quality meat delivered directly to your door. Again, that's butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast. Definitely get on it now. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know that sunscreen was grandfathered in for safety in the 1970s without thorough testing for its toxicity? Tests since then have shown that putting on sunscreen leads to elevated levels of toxic compounds within your bloodstream potentially for days. These are compounds which are potentially carcinogenic and have been specifically linked to endocrine disruption and so much more. Sunscreen's supposed to be protecting you and yet it might actually be attacking your health. And the problem doesn't stop with sunscreen. In fact, most conventional skincare and makeup on the market today is full of toxins. These are things linked to health issues and disease, endocrine disruption, and even obesogens, meaning they literally cause your body to store and gain fat. 
So while you may be fasting clean, are you actually fasting clean inside and out? Thankfully, you can easily clean up your sunscreen, skincare, and makeup all with a company called Beauty Counter. We adore Beauty Counter, and they make it so easy to clean things up. You can shop with us at melanieavalon.com beautycounter. And if you use that link, something really special and magical might happen after you place your first order. Also, definitely, definitely get on my clean beauty email list. I give away so many things on this email list. It's crazy. You don't want to miss it. That's at melanieavalon.com slash clean beauty. All right, now enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 173 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. I feel like it's been a long time. Does it feel like that to you? No. (laughs) Didn't we record like two weeks ago, maybe? I don't remember. I had already had my birthday. Didn't we talk after my birthday? No, I don't. Did we? We have. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) How are things with you? They're great. Well, it's so weird right now because I've got my Facebook friends, and a lot of my Facebook friends are from my old life as a teacher, obviously. And so um, everybody's going back to school. And it's so weird watching the elementary teachers are going back to school, and, and everything's different. They're actually starting on Monday. And then I have friends that are middle and high school teachers, but they're going to a hybrid schedule where they're the kids come every other day. So the system I used to teach for... The elementary kids are going every day. The middle and high school kids are going every other day based on their last name, which is weird because, you know, if you have a friend whose last name starts, you know, on the other side of things, you won't go to school with your friend anymore. It's just, it's so interesting watching the teachers have to deal with this new school year. And it makes me think, you know, this is my third year that the school is starting back and I'm not a teacher. And, but that, yeah, that would have been me. You know, I'd have been trying to figure this out and, I'm so grateful to be, you know, not immersed in the the stress of this. Does that make sense? That this is very, very hard for the teachers. And so if any teachers are listening, my heart is with you. I mean, I almost could cry. Like, I'm getting emotional talking about it. I can't even imagine what this year is going to be like. Anyway, there's that. <laughs> so on Friday, I released an episode with Dr. David Perlmutter, who wrote Grain Brain and Brainwash is his new book. And one of the things we talked about was the effect that like children not being able to see faces. And I guess those kids would be a little bit older, but the the effect of children like seeing masks and like the role of, you know, faces in development, like the effects that that's going to have, I think are just really shocking. Well, you know, that's one thing that also made me emotional because sometimes I go look at my old elementary school Facebook page because I like, you know, my teacher friends, you know, I was there since the school opened in 2005. I was there till I retired. So I'm very much, I feel like a part of that community, even though I'm gone. But they had pictures of the teachers all getting ready for back to school, all wearing their, they called them maskies, you know, selfies wearing masks because the teachers are going to be wearing masks. And I had that same thought. I was like, oh, no, how is this going to impact communication and interaction with the teachers and the students? Because me, just looking at them, I'm like, I know these people. I taught with these people from 2005 to 2000, okay, 2018, the spring of 2018. And it was hard to even recognize them from just seeing their eyes only. I'm like, who is that? I'm like, is that? I mean, these are people I know very well. It's it was It was just... A weird feeling. So my heart goes out to the education community because it's hard. But I'm very grateful not to be having to figure out how to how to make it work. So they go every other day, you say? The middle and high school kids are going every other day. You know, they have larger class sizes. And so 
it's harder to socially distance in the classroom when you have, you know, 30 in there. So it's also going to be hard, though, for the elementary because in fourth and fifth grade, those kids were packed in to a, a, you know, a small classroom because they have larger class sizes in upper elementary. So I don't know. It's a challenge. I feel for those teachers and everything was done, small group, face to face, you know, kids interacting. So them trying to socially distance the kids is a difficult scenario. So I wonder what effect going every other day will have on their like circadian rhythms and sleep schedules and things like that. I know kids are already in school, but that's always been an ongoing debate about, you know, early school hours anyway. So maybe it'll actually be beneficial. I don't know. Good point. I don't know how they're going to structure the school day as far as, you know, they're going to be expected to still get up at the regular time. I mean, they're not off on the days they don't come. They're learning from home. So they may be expected to learn from home during the same hours. I'm not really sure. Can I talk about one thing that can help all of this? Absolutely. That I've been really excited about for a long time. Yeah, please do. Actually, you know what it is. (laughs) So breathing. Okay, this is really weird. I feel like, you know, sometimes you start realizing the importance of something and then you just feel like you're getting like hit with it everywhere, like everywhere. Like that's happening right now with breathing. Like, because, you know, James Nestor released that book, Breathe, which is a New York Times bestseller. And he was on Joe Rogan and in my Facebook group, which everybody should join. IF Biohackers is the name of the group. Everybody was talking about it. And I listened to the interview and it was like all about the importance of breathing. I've started seeing a new therapist and she's amazing. And she's been focusing on breath work and breathing. I interviewed the Apollo Neuro guys and they make a wearable wrist watch device that activates your parasympathetic nervous system. It's amazing. (laughs) I will put a link to it in the show notes. But what he was saying with breathing is that when you breathe, the reason it activates your healing, restful, like de-stress state is because like subconsciously, because we can either be like in the fight or flight stressed out state or like the parasympathetic rest and digest state. And when you're breathing, it's like your brain realizes, oh, if I have time to pay attention to these breaths and to have these long breaths, then I must not be in danger. Like I like I'm clearly not running away from a tiger. So breath work is like really, really important for stress. And I've been seeing, you know how YouTube like targets ads to you? Or do you watch YouTube videos, Jen? Sometimes, like if I'm learning about something, like when I was trying to decide if I should get my new mixer, <laughs> I watched a million YouTubes about the mixer. So yeah, I do for for that sort of thing. I love my mixer, by the way. <laughs> We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Oh, which by the way, are at ifpodcast.com slash episode 173. But in any case, YouTube, <laughs> it knows I like all the weird biohacking things somehow. How does it know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But in any case, I kept seeing these ads for this thing called Camuso Shift. And it's a necklace. It comes in three different colors, by the way, including rose gold. But it's a necklace that you wear and using it, you breathe into it and it forces you to do the slow breathing. So like whenever you're stressed or feel like, you know, anxiety or feel like you need to calm down or have like a mindfulness moment, it's a necklace and you, you like, it comes with instructions, but like you do a certain type of inhale and then you exhale through the necklace basically. And I had a call with the man who developed it and he actually developed it because he struggled with anxiety and stress and 
he started doing the the breathing exercise that you can do with like a straw and he realized how effective it was. And so he decided to create a necklace that would create that like engineered with the exact diameter and length that would force you to have a longer exhale because that's the key is like the slowing down process. So it's it's like not possible to blow through it really fast, if that makes sense. It does. One of the other things about it from the, the scientific perspective is basically our amygdala, which is it's often referred to as like the reptilian brain. It's like one of the older parts of our brain that's not as much involved in our current prefrontal cortex consciousness. It's often involved in our fear response. And when we have anxiety or if we get nervous or scared, it's activated and it actually speeds up our breath. It help, it makes us breathe shallower so that we can take more oxygen to run away from, you know, said predator. On the flip side, breathing like that can also activate the amygdala. They kind of go hand in hand and you can have profound effects by just, just breathing. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And so I am really obsessed with this necklace because I've been trying to do like breathwork type things, but sometimes it's hard to like actually sit there and do it. And having something that you can just like around your neck that you can just use is just so incredible. I wore it the other day and I went and saw my mom and my mom was like, what is that? I bet your mom is always, what is that? Am I right? Pretty much. And I was like, um, nothing you showed up with would surprise her. No, no, not at all. I was like, it's a necklace and it it forces you to like sit down and breathe slowly. And she was like, oh my goodness. She was like, I want one right now. And I was like, well, you have to wait till the podcast airs. And Jen got one too as well. Do you like it, Jen? I used it the first day and then I forgot to use it again. So I'm going to have to pull that back out. You explaining why to use it because it showed up one day. I'm like, hello, what is this? True. I guess I, I guess I didn't really school you on it. So now you know. But I did know what color you would want. You got the color right. Yeah. Now listeners are like, what color? <laughs> I wonder if they could guess. It comes in, I think, silver gold and rose gold. Rose gold, guys. Rose gold. I get so excited when everything is in rose gold. Guess how many things I have in rose gold? Zero. I have zero rose gold. I am not rose gold. So for listeners that might be curious, I feel like I have to tell them now, I always wore silver for years and years and years, silver, white, gold all the time. And then I've shifted back to gold. So now I'm mostly wearing gold. So there you go. You should try the rose gold route. Nope. I'm not a pink girl. Like I wear very little pink. I have very few things that are pink. I think that's why I'm obsessed with rose gold is because it's like, I feel like it's like the adult, more refined version of pink. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. In any case, Camuso Shift comes in rose gold. I'm definitely getting this for my sister for Christmas. I'm trying, I wonder what color I'll get her. But yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. In case you're wondering, I like sought them out and I was like, I love your necklace. I want to partner with you. And listeners, you can actually get 20% off. So for that, you will just go to comusodesign.com. That's K-O-M-U-S-O-D-E-S-I-G-N.com. And the coupon code IFPODCAST will get you 20% off. And I really think, okay, one reason I'm really, really obsessed with it too, as far as like gift giving goes is, I mean, I always want to give like biohacking type gifts to like everybody, but a lot of those are just sort of like specific and like oddly weird. But this is like a necklace. 
you know? So it's, it's like jewelry. So it's like, it's like a, the perfect gift in disguise that's actually functional, but I really, really love it. And I wear it. And then when I'm having like an anxious moment, I pull it up to my lips. I do the breathing technique and it's really, really incredible. Actually, you know what? That's probably why I haven't pulled it out much because talking about jewelry, now that I'm home, I'm not even putting on jewelry as much as I used to. Like every morning I used to put, before I went to work, I would put on a watch and earrings, bracelet, necklace, you know, a ring. I always wear my wedding wedding ring, but this is on my other hand. And then now that I've been home, this, like I said, going into my third year of being retired from teaching, I like only tend to put on jewelry if I'm going somewhere. Isn't that funny? It like gradually has stopped. Like for the first year or so, I still put on my jewelry every morning like I always had. Well, I actually, I'm not a big jewelry person either. Unless I'm going to see somebody or if I'm filming something with someone, you know, like where we're Skyping, that sort of thing, or if I'm recording a podcast and we're going to see each other, I'll put my earrings on and my necklace. You can start putting it on when you record your your other show to get started because that's the key. I've got a huge jewelry collection because I would really, like for years, I would always match up what I was going to wear with this jewelry, what went with it. And it's just funny to see how that habit is. The first thing I stopped putting on was a watch. And so, you know, all my watches now, I couldn't put them on now if I wanted to because all the batteries are dead. Yeah, I don't think I have any watches. I have a ton. I used to always wear watches. As a teacher, you know, you needed to. You couldn't have your phone in your hand all the time. You had to have, you know, something to look at. It's funny to think about. In general, I don't wear much jewelry except for like sentimental earrings, which, you know, half of those got stolen. (laughs) And then like this, this is like functional. It has like a purpose. Like it's hard to get me to wear a necklace. So the fact that I'm wearing this necklace <laughs> like, says a lot. So yeah. So listeners definitely check it out. Can I tell you one more really quick announcement really quickly? I almost told you this when we were talking before, but I didn't. I started a new Facebook group. Awesome. So what is it? Did you know this? I didn't. I wasn't sure if it was going to like make its way to you. <laughs> it's for people who are using the Lumen device. Oh. For listeners, I had an episode of a device that well, Jen has it now and she's trying it as well. This is the second day I've had it. Yesterday was the calibration day and today is the first using day. So basically what it is, is a, it's a breath analyzer. So this does relate a lot to intermittent fasting. It's a breath analyzer and it, it ascertains if you are deriving your fuel that you're running on from carbs or fat, not ketones. It is not measuring ketones. And its purpose is actually really, I think, metabolic flexibility. So like figuring out how you respond to if you're eating carbs or if you're eating fat. I think I have talked about it before on this show. But in any case, I'll put a link in the show notes to the interview I did with the founder because we dive deep into the the science of it. But so many people in my Facebook group, my current Facebook group, have been posting about it like literally like every day. (laughs) And I was like, I should just start a group for all these people. So we have it now. It's called Lumen Lovers Biohack Your Carb and Fat Burning. You got to get the keywords in there, as you know. So yeah, so if you have a device, if you just want to learn more about the science, it has links to everything. A lot of people in there right now, you know, don't even have a device, but they just, they want to learn more. And then once people get it, they get really obsessed with like talking about their findings and sharing. So definitely join. And I'm going to start doing weekly giveaways too as well. It is very interesting. Today is the first day that I'm actually using it with fasting. At hour 12 when I woke up, it gives you a level from one to five. So five would be you're running on carbs only. One would be you're running on fat. 
So I got a three when I woke up at hour 12. I mean, the last thing I ate last night was pizza. So that makes sense, right? Um, It was a blend of carb and fat burning at hour 12 of my fast when I woke up this morning. And then I tested again at hour 16 of my fast, and I was all the way at a one, which said fat burning. So that was interesting. It wasn't surprising that my body shifted fuel sources to burning fat there at hour 16, but it would shock the people who still don't understand how metabolically flexible people like us who are intermittent fasters can shift from carbs to fat even with eating a lot of carbs. Because yesterday I, I ate a lot of carbs. They want you to on the calibration day. I actually had two meals yesterday and they were both very carb heavy. That's funny. I probably had you not told me your readings and you told me what you ate. If it had been not you and you had asked me to like predict what the readings were, I probably wouldn't have predicted like a one at hour 16. But me knowing you and knowing how ridiculously like fat adapted you are. (laughs) I am. It's fun to see because I think sometimes people think I make it up. And like yesterday, it wanted me to, you know, after lunch to calibrate it, you have, you're supposed to eat lunch and it's supposed to be very carb heavy. And then you're supposed to blow in it an hour later. And I'm like, I'm going to have to eat lunch. (laughs) And then I was like, well, okay, I'll do it. So I ate at about one o'clock. I had lunch and this is what I had for lunch. I had a homemade roll made from wheat that I ground myself. And I had chickpea salad, which is like chickpeas with curry in there. And I had potato salad made with white potatoes and oh, leftovers from the night before, which had Japanese yams in it. I mean, that is very carby. And then for dinner, we went and had pizza, and it was deep dish pizza, which is very thick crust. We had Greek salad, and I had crackers at a restaurant. And still by hour 16, you were a one. By hour 16, I was all the way in the fat burning. Yes. That's crazy. Like I've actually, I think I've only gotten a one like a few times. I don't normally go below a two. And this is on like having done low carb for a while. My pattern actually has been, especially when I first got it, because I've kind of been doing like a cyclical approach where like low carb for like a week and then like a carb up, which is not my, (laughs) I'll talk about that later. It's not, it's not my preferred way of going for me personally, but it's what I'm doing right now. And my pattern is like, I'll be like the first like few days I'm like fat burning, fat burning, fat burning. But like the longer I go without a carb up, I actually start creeping up and getting more like threes, like carb. Like I think it's a cortisol response. Interesting. So I didn't calibrate though with the carbs that it suggested. I was like, I can't. I did it for the science. I know. I plan to. It is so interesting that I felt great. That just lets you know how great I feel from carbs because I had that at one o'clock and then Chad and I went and did some things. We were out running errands and then, you know, I was fully satisfied from that until we went to the the pizza restaurant at around six. And even so, I ended up with like a five and a half hour window with the two meals in there. I was fully satisfied from that very heavy carby lunch until we went to dinner. I already knew we were all like really different, but just hearing people's experiences in the group, it's like people are all over the place. Like, so join my Lumen Lovers group. <laughs> <laughs> Lumen Lovers, that cracks me up. I know. <laughs> You're going to get some wacky people joining who are like, lovers. <laughs> uh, I hope you have really good membership screening questions. I think so. They should not be yes, no. Anyone starting a Facebook group? Yes, no questions are the worst. You need people to have to write something. There's there's a tip. One of them is right, and I think the other two are yes, no. 
One is like, why do you want to join? Because you can only have three questions, right? You can. Yeah, only three. I think it's, why do you want to join? Do you have a device? You don't have to have one, but I'm just wondering. And then like, have you watched the episode? In any case, shall we jump into some questions? Yes, let's get started. So today we have a question from someone that I I feel like I know very well, although we've only met virtually. It's Graham Curry. He was on episode 23 of Intermittent Fasting Stories, and he lives in Australia and is originally from New Zealand. So for anyone who listens to Intermittent Fasting Stories, you will recognize Graham as episode 23. He's also very active in the Facebook groups. So Graham's subject is question of food addiction and IF. Graham says, hey, Jen and Melanie, love, love the podcast. Learn something every week from it. I have a question around food addiction and IF. Something as a former food addict, I get asked a lot when sharing my journey. Is it better to work through food addiction issues before starting IF or Better to use IF to help deal with food addiction issues and carry the addiction into an IF lifestyle. Is there any research on this? My own view is it's better to deal with it first, but I'm not really sure that fits everyone with addiction issues around food. Thank you. Fast on. And so, like I said, Graham is someone I consider to be a friend. We were actually supposed to meet Melanie. I'm so sad about this. He and his wife, his wife is pretty amazing as well. Graham has lost over 100 pounds. I'm not even sure how many. But his wife trains horses and was supposed to come to America to do something with, I think, the police in New York and their police that are on horseback to work with them, something like that. And they were going to go on the... The third annual Delay Don't Deny cruise out of Charleston. They had their tickets bought. They were coming. And then, of course, no international travel. So, Graham, one day we will meet. Anyway, what do you say about his question, Melanie? In general, I think that intermittent fasting is fantastic for food addiction problems for a lot of people. I had Glenn Livingston on my podcast, and I really recommend checking out that interview. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But One of his main things, he's a psychologist and he wrote Never Binge Again and he works with a lot of clients, that's his specialty, (laughs) with uh, food addiction problems. And his main thing is you don't have to work through, like, yes, emotional problems and food addiction problems might all go together, but he talked about how you don't have to deal with emotional food addiction problems to stop engaging in addictive food behavior. And I sort of think that that applies here. Like you may have food addiction issues, but you don't have to work through them in order to do intermittent fasting. And on the flip side, when a person begins intermittent fasting, oftentimes food addiction, I mean, it might have an emotional root, but oftentimes it's just purely physiological because, you know, our bodies aren't fat adapted. They perceive an energy crisis between meals because we're we're accustomed to running on glucose and carbohydrates and our modern diet often creates, you know, encourages our cells to be resistant to insulin. So we become addicted to food. There's just so many aspects and like layers involved that I think practicing intermittent fasting can often be for a lot of people almost the cure for food addiction because now it encourages your your metabolism to properly utilize fat. I think the the bright lines of it so that when you're fasting, you just you're not eating. So so you don't have to worry about like eating and feeling addicted to food because it's just, it's a bright line. It's just, you're not eating. And then when you do eat, it absolves you of that guilt of feeling like you're addicted to food. 
the nuance to it is that a lot of people or some people might experience like when their window opens, they feel like that they're binging or they're overeating and that it's, you know, further fueling the food addiction. And I think there's a lot of nuance there and there's, there can be a lot of reasons for that. It can involve nutrients. I mean, the studies have shown conflicting things about mentality and food addiction and fasting. I think in general, a lot of the studies tend to show, especially because there's a lot of studies that compare like calorie restriction dieting to intermittent fasting. And the people on intermittent fasting often don't experience like the increased hunger and the wanting and things like that compared to people who are practicing a normal diet. And so what that says to me is that it indicates that it's probably good for addictive food type behaviors. On the other hand, I did see read a study recently that was talking about how fasting might actually encourage things like binging for things like that. I wonder if, I don't know. Well, actually that would tie into this because he's talking about dealing with, you know, previous food addiction issues. I can speak to that a little bit real quick. The binging at first, I see this over and over in the Facebook groups. When people are first starting, they start their binging, you know, and, and I explain it like, and these are people who might not even even had a binging problem before, but when your body is learning how to fast, learning how to be fat adapted, you're not yet well fueled during the fast. So when you break your fast, it's time to eat. You overeat because your body's like, give us some energy. We've been starving all day. And this calms down as you become fat adapted and your body's like, oh, plenty of energy. And we'll see this with people, you know, at week three or week five as they're going through that adjustment period. So that's why any study that did that, you know, for intermittent fasting, if it was really short and they found that people were actually tending to binge at first, it makes sense because the whole adaptation process is so key. And then people generally settle down. So with new intermittent fasters, what we'll see is at first they'll say, why am I overeating? Why am I overeating? This isn't going to work. I'm overeating. Then they get to the point where appetite correction occurs. They're like, why am I not eating enough? Why am I not eating enough? Why am I not hungry? And it like once that switch is flipped, you know, they can really feel the difference. So it's just a very common pattern. That was just about, you know, why people binge at first when they're adjusting. The study I was looking at specifically was actually a five-year study, but I think it's more complicated because it was actually looking at adolescent girls. Oh, yeah, that's really different. Their likelihood for binge-like behavior later on. And that's a thing where I think there's often like fasting can get correlated to disordered eating because people who are more likely to engage in disordered eating are probably more likely to be fasting. Well, like a teenager who self-selected fasting for, right, you know, because we know that it's a tool, just like, you know, we've talked about before, if fasting is not an eating disorder, just like laxatives are not an eating disorder or disordered if you take them when you need them. But people who have eating disorders can misuse these tools. Yeah, exactly. The group of adolescent girls who have self-selected fasting might not be the group to study. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading a book right now, and I'm so excited because she's coming on the show. I think I mentioned her already. It's Kate Shanahan's. Her new book is the fat burn fix. And I just started it. What she talks about in the beginning is she's talking about how we so often perceive food addiction because we feel like we're addicted to food because when we run out of energy, it's like an energy crisis to our body. Right. And that's why you're like shoving the food in to feel better. Yeah. The only thing, because when we're like locked out of using our own body fat for fuel, we literally experience a dietary crisis when we run out of carbs. 
This is 100% exactly what I was just saying about the people during the adjustment phase. That's it exactly. Our brain, if it's not using ketones, it has to have glucose. It can't run off of fatty acids. So when we run out of glucose, it's literally a energy crisis. Like she was talking about how like, you know, within seconds, if certain cells don't get energy or, or nutrients, they could like potentially die. So like, it's no wonder that we get this addictive type, you know, food addiction behavior until we fix the root cause, which fasting I think is, can be great for. I'm really excited. The reason I'm bringing her on mainly is our large part of her, what she talks about is how eating polyunsaturated fats completely messes with our body's ability to use body fat for energy. It's crazy. Tangents. But yeah, so what were your other thoughts? We are not going to say the opposite thing. Yay. I was just curious. Well, you're so food focused. And I actually, see, I know Graham. So perhaps you went with the binging. Whereas for me, I know Graham. So I I don't read his talk of food addiction as binging as much as I read it as food choices. Like he has removed. Oh, types of foods. Oh, wait. Yeah. See, he, but I, see, I have that, that knowing Graham. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. He may have also binged on the foods he's now removed, but with intermittent fasting. I was thinking like snacking or binging, but you mean like the specific type? Yes. He has given up sugar and ultra processed foods because he, he finds those foods don't work well for him. And he feels so much better. He's eating real foods and he is passionate about, you know, people, breaking their, you know, ultra processed and sugar feelings. But I I think that, you know, Graham is talking about dealing with the food part first. And then I, I don't know that it would be easy to do it without the fasting. I actually, just like you said, fasting, you were talking about with the binge mentality. But for me, with the ultra processed and processed foods and sugar, I would rather people first go go to fasting and work on the foods later. I actually have that in Fast Feast Repeat as a suggestion with a 28-day fast start that I don't want people to start fasting and change their foods at the same time. It's too much, you know, to, to try to do everything at once. I want you to nail the clean fast, adjust to fasting, and then let your body guide you as you work on, you know, the foods that you're eating. I think it depends on the type of person. Like, I think for probably a lot of people, it would be too much. And like, you should focus on one thing. But then I think there are some people, like extremists, like me, they're like, I'm all in. I think the average person is, it would be too much, then they would quit like everything else, you know, for me, at least it would be for me. I would have just been, you know, if I tried to change intermittent fasting and eat different things at the same time, it would not have been as sustainable. I guess the reason I see it differently is like, I see it as like making a choice about what you're eating. And I mean, I personally like lump together with like with when I'm eating. And I feel like even like dieting is sort of always that. I knew we would have the opposite answer if we were talking about food choices. You see how I nailed it? (laughs) The way I see it, like, because historically, like with any diet, it's kind of like, oh, I eat this at this time, or I'll eat this amount of calories at this time, or I'll eat this meal at this time. So I think some people, if that's what they're used to, it's not like you have to do multiple things. It's like you've made a new choice. And that new choice might be, I'm eating whole foods in this window. Like, I think some people, it would be fine. Some people not. I think it would just depend on the individual and their personality. Well, yeah, so many things depend on that. But my my recommendation mainly stems from the way that we see people 
change what they want to eat naturally, not because they have to force it. That's just almost so universal that people will start off, you know, eating the same way they were before. Maybe it was the standard American diet and they were eating that just in a window. And then over time, they realize that doesn't appeal to them anymore and they naturally change their foods. So I, I actually even think that might be what happened with Graham. He naturally, through, through the magic of intermittent fasting, getting us in tune with our body's signals, we naturally gravitate towards the more nutritious foods so you don't have to force it. I, I think that's that's where I'm going with that. Well, I mean, that is totally, I don't just think that is. <laughs> that's where I'm going with that. I think it's very powerful to let it happen naturally. That's very much what happened with me. You know, I used to eat like a a teenage boy as far as the food choices. So for me and for a lot of people, you know, we start with our normal way of eating and then we change just naturally over time. I think that's where the power is. Well, I agree 100% that in a way, both of them often lead to each other. If you go from like a processed standard American diet and then start eating, you know, whole foods and cut out a lot of things that you were, quote, addicted to, you might find that you start naturally, you know, going longer between meals. You might actually start naturally fasting. On the flip side, if you start fasting, you often find that you start cleaning up your food choices. Like both of them lead to each other. Yeah. So I think with looking at both of them, it's really a matter of, I think both are amazing. So do one, do the other, or do both. It's just funny how we often end up at the same destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The same destination of intermittent fasting with whole foods. Yeah. That's why I think it's fine to start with both of them if you want to at the same time. In a way, it makes it almost, I think it makes it easier because the foods are more filling, more nutrient dense. So less detox maybe during the fast from processed foods. Oh, gosh, I feel like you almost might have a worse adjustment period because now you're having to detox from, I don't know, I think it would be like a double detox, maybe. A double detox from eating more nutrient-rich foods? Well, because now your body is like, I just remember when one time I changed what I was eating. I was experimenting with something. I I gave up gluten or something, and I felt so bad just from that. So withdrawal. Change, yes, withdrawal from the foods. I remember feeling terrible. I don't know. Everybody's got to decide. My recommendation is nail one thing at a time. But of course, if you want to change everything at once, you can. But just if you feel that that's making you crash and burn, it's not a good idea. And remember, Jen said you might. So don't. (laughs) Don't give it all up if it is too much. Do you? Hi, friends. We know things might be a little bit stressful right now, and we're always looking for ways to help you feel better naturally. That's why we are honored to partner with Feels. They're providing a better way to feel better. I was already a fan of CBD oil, but it was so important to me to find a company that fit my very stringent criteria. We're talking organic, full spectrum, tested for purity, and made with an MCT oil carrier. I knew if I could find this exact combination, I'd have a CBD oil that I could use for myself and also share with my friends. I'm a huge fan of CBD. I've done a lot of research on the science and basically CBD regulates your cannabinoid system, which can help you feel better. CBD has been shown to help with so many things from mental stress and anxiety to insomnia to pain relief and so much more. Of course, it can be difficult to get your hands on high quality premium CBD, especially even more today. Thankfully, Feels delivers premium CBD directly to your doorstep. You can put just a few drops under your tongue and instantly feel the difference. If you're new to CBD, 
They've even got a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. With a Feels membership, you can get CBD delivered to you every single month, you'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. And Feels has an amazing offer for our listeners. I mean, this is huge. You can become a member and get 50% off your first order. Yes, 50%. Just go to feels.com slash ifpodcast and you'll get 50% off your order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash ifpodcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels honestly has me feeling my best every day, and I really believe it can help you too. So definitely check it out. All right, now enjoy the show. All right, shall we move on to the next question? Yes. All right, so the next question comes from Paige. The subject is, my body as in limbs is now more flexible, stretching further than I've ever been able to. And Paige says, hi, ladies. Wow is all I can say. I stumbled across your podcast and the IF way of life about two months ago. I'm reaping the benefits, even if the weight I want to lose is bouncing around, albeit only five to 10 kilograms. And yes, I'm from Australia. Oh, wow. Two Australians in a row. Okay. So I would be the least flexible person you have ever met in terms of body flexibility. I can't even sit and touch my toes. I almost bend backwards. However, I got on the floor today for a stretch and noticed I could reach further and hold certain stretches for longer. I took a break from stretching at pretty much the same time I started IF, so it's not from just getting better. I tried to search for an answer, but apparently the term flexible and IF go hand in hand, so I came up with nothing regarding this specific topic. Have you ever had anyone write in about gaining body flexibility with IF? I'm not complaining, but definitely curious. Thanks, Paige. All right, flexibility. Does this come up in the groups much, Jen? Well, first of all, I want to say, Paige, you got to rewrite your thoughts about the weight you've lost because five kilograms is 11 pounds, and you've only been doing intermittent fasting for two months. So even at the low end of five to 10 kilograms, that is amazing. So it, it just at the beginning, it sounds like, wow, so 10 kilograms would be like 20 something pounds in two months, 22 pounds. So at the beginning, it says, even if the weight I want to lose is bouncing around only five to 10 kilograms, that makes it sound like she's feeling bad that she's only lost five to 10 kilograms in two months, whereas actually that is spectacular. So anyway, <laughs> I had to I had to put that in there because Realistic expectations are so important. And in today's diet culture, you know, you go to the checkout counter and you see the little tabloid that says, you know, drop 30 pounds by next month. That's not realistic. And so people think, you know, that, gosh, 11 pounds, 11 to 22 pounds in two months might seem slow if you, you know, contrast it with tabloid expectations. But that is really, really very fast. Anything you want to add about that, Melanie? Just that I agree. Good job. <laughs> Keep going, Paige. Yeah. So Paige, you're nailing it. <laughs> Do not feel like you're not doing well. That's fabulous. No, I've never heard of anybody saying that they got more flexible from fasting in general other than, I mean, like if you've never been flexible, even when you were perhaps leaner and now you're more flexible, that's interesting. I mean, I'm certainly more flexible now than I was when I was 80 pounds heavier. That's just because my body can move better because it's smaller. 11 to 22 pounds would make a difference in how you move your body. But 
I've never heard of anybody say they were more flexible than they had been at the same weight, if that makes sense. Well, when I read her question, it really resonated with me because I remember experiencing that when I started. Like I, And I wasn't sure if it was like real or just intuitive, but intuitively, I felt like I gained flexibility. So I, I did some research on the subject. And apparently, aging is associated with decreased flexibility because there's a lot of different like, so flexibility involves, you know, how our joints move and it involves a lot of bodily tissues. So tendons, cartilage, like a lot of just material there. And as we age, those systems, you know, they, they break down, they age, they accumulate buildups. We just lose flexibility. And so there's actually, I was reading a role that autophagy plays in maintaining cartilage flexibility in cells. So fasting, stimulating autophagy. That was my first thought was maybe autophagy is helping, you know, either break down or discourage buildup of stiffness in the joints. That makes sense, but I don't know why it would make you more flexible than you had been before. Like I just tried, just I'm sitting here. I wish y'all could see it. I used to be able to take my left hand in my hand and stretch my leg out completely. I was a ballet dancer, but I wasn't all that flexible compared to other people. But I was like, well, can I still put my heel in my hand and straighten my leg completely? And the answer is yes, I still can. (laughs) I hadn't tried that in a while. So I'm as flexible as I was as a teenager, but I'm not more flexible than I was as a teenager. Did I gain flexibility? No. I mean, I gained flexibility from when I was overweight. Does that make sense? I'm not more flexible than I was as a teenager, but I'm equally as flexible as I was as a teenager now at the age of 51. I wonder if... IF can bring you to kind of like a healthy body. I think it could probably bring you to, there might be a cap on flexibility, but it could bring you to. For your body. Yeah, but it could bring you to that cap that maybe you never actually reached before because your body was never, maybe you're healthier now, you know? Yeah. And you actually can increase flexibility. You can, you know, through exercises. Like when I was a, a ballet dancer back in the day with at my mom's dance studio, as a teenager, you know, we had exercise, like we would put our foot on the bar and lean into our leg and that would, you know, stretch it out. You would become more flexible over time. But I was, you know, definitely this is, you can see people are different because there are people that could just like do a big old split, you know, not me. That was not my body ever. (laughs) Me neither. I could do a split. It's funny. I never could do a side to side split ever the side to side where you put your legs out beside you. But I could do a split if I put my left leg in front, you know, the front back split. But I could not do one with my right foot in the front. I remember Samantha Hester. I doubt she listens to this podcast. Hello, Samantha. (laughs) If she does (laughs) from like first or second grade, that girl was the most flexible girl. Like ridiculous. I was convinced she was going to go to the Olympics. I wonder if she did. I was so jealous of people who were flexible. Yeah, because I was not flexible. That's why the question resonated with me is because I, when I started doing fasting and cleaning up my diet and losing weight, I felt like I was becoming more flexible. And I never really thought about that before, like growing up. So it's pretty interesting. So real quick, try to do a split. Tell us if you can. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, Paige, we don't have an answer for you, but the answer Melanie said is maybe with autophagy. I at least found a study about cartilage flexibility in autophagy so in rats, but still, I don't know. I think I think there's something there. Now I'm imagining the rats doing splits. I don't know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, man. 
So shall we go on to the next question? Yes, this is from Renee. The subject is four versus six hour window. Hello, I just discovered your podcast this week, and this was literally an answer to prayer. I had heard of IF before and did it for a brief period of time with an eight-hour window but didn't clean fast as I had cream in my morning coffee. I loved that it helped me eat more mindfully, but somehow this didn't last. Recently, I stumbled across IF again and have learned so much from your podcasts from binge listening. And that's the kind of binging we get behind, right, Melanie? Yeah, actually, while we're talking about that, she mentions how IF was helping her eat mindfully. Yep. It's true. She says, I am only four days into IF, but I'm loving it. I never thought I'd be able to do a six or especially four-hour window, but it's actually so doable and makes me so much more mindful of what I eat. There it is again. (laughs) My question is, what are the advantages of a four-hour window versus six-hour? I've been doing a four- to six-hour window, but always with a light lunch, snack, and average dinner. I love food and can't just do one meal a day. I need something to look forward to around 12 to 1 p.m., and then I know I can stop right after dinner, which is done by 6 p.m. Thanks for your help. And Melanie, can I say one thing real quick that I just have to pop out out of my head? Of course. Please don't judge anything based on what you feel right doing four days in. (laughs) You know, she says that she needs something around 12 to 1, but she's only four days in. You got to give it time before, you you know, you may just surprise yourself. That's all I'm going to say. All right, Melanie, to her question. I think it's funny. For some reason, I always like gloss through that and you always pick up on it. I'm like, oh. When someone's new? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because, you know, we are we are approaching getting close to half a million members of the Facebook groups. So people are often the most enthusiastically posting early on. If that makes sense, when they're new and 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 these are this is just what we hear over and over and over again. Someone who is, you know, in their first month. That's why I wrote the twenty eight day fast start. You know, with like we are not going to worry about our weight, we're not going to worry about this and that during the first twenty eight days, because I just know the adjustment period is is really not the time to say. Because a lot of times it's like you know she's loving it and it might get hard again later. If she has to go through that, then she gets to the other side, and then she'll know how she feels. But that's really, really, really just a theme we hear over and over and over and over and over and over and over. All right. So now for her question, I will leave that to you. Yes. So I really like this question because on the one hand, it's like four to six hours. Like it doesn't seem like that big of a difference. You know, it's only two hours and six hours is already a pretty small eating window. And and for a lot of, and I think a six hour eating window is, you know, fantastic and great for a lot of people. I think a four hour eating window is fantastic and great for a lot of people. The thing that I just do want to point out is the longer you go into a fast, and I'm talking about within like a 24 hour day window, although it would extend beyond that as well, the like fat burning potential and like autophagy potential is increasing at a faster rate. So it's kind of like, say you're 16 hours into a fast. I think you get more bang for your buck in that 17th hour than you did like your 15th hour. So in a way it's like, let's compare it to doing and I don't know the specifics and I'm sure it really like would vary by different people. But say, for example, you did 
16 hours, 16 hours, 16 hours for like a whole week. I don't know how it compare exactly, but doing, you know, like one 24 hour fast, throwing a one 24 hour fast in there might give you even more fat burning potential, even with like longer windows the other days. And it's hard to like measure it up. Once you get like into a fast and you've been in there a while, you get to a point where you're really like example. It's kind of like if you have an apartment and you, you know, are cleaning it every day in order to like deep clean, you kind of have to like go further to like deep clean. And you can do that faster in like one long deep cleaning session, or you could just like clean a little bit every single day, but it would take much longer because if you only have a a short amount of time, does that make sense? I'm like all over the place. Yeah, it does. It makes sense. Because like when you start over, then you have to like the next day, then you have to, you know, go over again and do a whole nother 16 hours before you get to that 17th hour mark where you are, fatty acids are like rocking up. It's kind of like I was listening to a podcast on Peter Atia and I think it was Dom Agostino who I really want to bring on my show. He has not answered my email. He was saying, I think it was him saying, so I'm sorry if I misquote, but I think he was making the case that potentially a, and I'm on rabbit tangent holes, but potentially a ketogenic restricted diet for like five days could yield similar health benefits to like an extended fast because you're in that state that would be also supported in a longer fast. This is so many tangent rabbit holes. But my point is a four and a six hour window, I think doing a four hour window every day compared to a six hour window every day, despite not seeming like that big of a difference, actually might be a big difference. That was my, that's what I'm trying to say. Well, I have got something interesting to share with you. This is a new study from, it was just published July 20th in Cell Metabolism. Have you seen this, Melanie? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm not sure. Well, this is very, very cool because you know who Krista Verity is? Yes. So for listeners, Krista Verity has done a lot of the research on alternate daily fasting. And she actually wrote a book called The Every Other Day Diet years ago. I can't remember what year that book was published, but it, you know the, the bulk of the research on alternate daily fasting came out of her group. But she has got a new study that came out July 15th, 2020, and it's called Effects of four and six hour time restricted feeding on weight and cardiometabolic health, a randomized controlled trial in adults with obesity. So they used adults who were obese and they, they did it for about 10 weeks. So, you know, still they, they adjusted. They were just barely getting over the adjustment hump. They found that both groups. They they were not told to reduce calories. They were not told to eat less. They were told, eat within this window, eat what you want. They did find that both groups pretty much spontaneously ate about 550 fewer calories per day without calorie counting, which is huge. They were able to eat less food without trying, which is, you know, one thing we we hear from intermittent fasters. But the four-hour group, they ate between three and seven And the six-hour group ate between one and seven. After eight weeks, they lost a similar amount of body weight, about 3%, and they also reduced insulin resistance, which is huge, which doesn't surprise us, obviously. We would not be surprised to hear that insulin resistance went down. Do you have the full paper? 
I do not have the full paper here. I do not. It's one that you have to have access to. So I'm just reading for, I haven't gotten it yet, but I just read, I mean, you know, we're, what, 10 days away from that study being published. And I, it came across my group. Someone shared it. And I only have read the abstract and the highlights and the summary. I'm dying to, I really want to read it. Because I find that really, I'm reading the abstract too. Well, I can get it from the library of Chad. Can you? That'd be great. Well, I sure can. I can get it from the library of Chad. And I don't mean Chad the country. (laughs) Yeah, because I really want to read it because that would be fascinating that eight weeks. Well, they you got to keep in mind, they, they only did it for eight weeks. And eight weeks is not very long, but it's long enough for them to adjust. But they they were seeing positive benefits. They did not see a big difference between the four-hour group and the six-hour group. Yeah. That's what I'm really interested in. And I wonder, really, I, I would I would like to read it too. I wonder if maybe they all kind of averaged a little closer to five. Closer to five. Yeah, like the six people, were they really going for the whole six? Or we don't really know. Are the four-hour people, did they have a little window creep? It would be interesting to know. I really want to know the setup. They were instructed to eat within these hours. But, you know, in practice, do people really, you know, like yesterday when I was instructed to do a certain thing to calibrate my lumen, I didn't do it exactly like they said. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, I have a friend who's participating in the PREDICT-2 study. They're instructed to do a certain thing, and they're always already like, I'm not doing it exactly like that. So compliance is, is you know, what, what did they really do? And anyway, they didn't see a big difference between 6, 4, and 6. You know what I also wonder? I think maybe if you're eating low-carb, high-fat, or high-carb, low-fat compared to like a mixed diet, even if the calories were the same, I wonder if in that additional two hours of fasting if you would experience more fat burning compared to if you're eating the same amount of calories but a mixed macro diet. This is just a theory, just positing it. Well, that would be interesting to see. Yeah. Because like, for example, say you're doing like a super low protein diet, then the longer you would go into the fast, you would, I mean, the autophagy would probably ramp up even more because you have to have protein. So it has to come from somewhere. I think it's creating that intense necessity that controlling macros can do that would further like push you deeper into things the longer you fast. I definitely find that what I choose to eat makes a difference. You know, now that I'm playing around with both the lumen and the the biosense, as long as I don't eat ultra processed foods, I find that I'm getting into fat burning much earlier the next day. Ultra processed foods make such a difference for my body. I mean, I'm course, I'm not surprised. I have a whole chapter on that in Fast, Feast, Repeat. But seeing it with data, knowing it in my brain is one thing, but then seeing the reflection of it in, you know, numbers is is very empowering. Agreed. Yeah. So anyway, Renee, did we answer your question? I don't know. <laughs> the, the point is that I also don't want people to get hung up on, am I doing a four or am I doing a six? Because really, like the study we just said, they had very similar results over eight weeks from the four-hour group and the six-hour group. That's really not a lot of time. Percentage of your day, that's not much different. Now, if you have a six-hour window and then it gradually creeps to an eight-hour window, that's going to be one thing. But if you're mindful of somewhere between four and six, you're probably going to be okay. Agreed. All right. 
Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So for listeners, if you'd like to submit your own questions to the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like for all of the stuff that we like. Like my Facebook groups again, because I love them. The Lumen Lovers is the one I was talking about and IF Biohackers. You can follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. I'm at Melanie Avalon. Jen is Jen Stevens. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. We had a great episode. Lots of interesting stuff. Agreed. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.